This is Jeff's computer again. With the quarantine, Jeff doesn't have a quiet recording space, so I'll tell you about our guest. Patrick Helbert was an early guest before the show was fully formed, and now he's back for a real episode. Patrick is a working NYC comic with a funny, sex-positive podcast, Who Cares About Ross and Patrick, which he creates with his wife. He performs nationally in his one-man show for colleges called Punchline Drunk, and he's debuting his sex-positive solo show with the semi-working title, Charming Pervert. In addition to killing it on regular stand-up shows, he also specializes in entertaining at rehab centers and shelters for audiences new to recovery. Book him on his website, patrickholbert.com. Now, here's a tired theme song, added in post. Stand-up comic joke it up one time! Funny! Sets. This is let's talk about sets, and this is the first time we've ever recorded without the theme song at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels much better. Yeah, I, I don't know. I actually feel a little listless. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm a, like that was my rudder for like I get to be a little annoyed up front, and then that you... carries through the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, was You're it less... your lube? Is the song the lube that gets things going smoothly? Yeah, if the lube had like capsaicin, the spicy right, like, yeah, component <laughs> of food. Like, so what, was... <laughs> what you're saying is that this is a little painful. Yeah, no lube. There's oh. some pain. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I see how you shoehorn that in. Am I allowed <laughs> to even talk yet? I don't know if I'm doing this wrong. What makes you think there? rules on our podcast you are quite a producer you have a new producer here this is, <laughs> things are happening i know you have systems happen uh well let's start with this let welcome to let's talk about sets this is a comedy nerd cast all about the science and craft of stand-up comedy and uh you know what i'm your host jeff mcbride with me as always is the venerable Harrison Tweed. That's I'm, him. Yeah, that's my that's, guy. That's me. That's my. I guess. I are you my? Are you sidekick? Do I have a sidekick? No. No, you I don't, don't f- like that. You don't like. No, don't I'm like just sidekick. like some chill dude that ha- hangs out here. So like Andy Richter, chill. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll be your sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll have like a good spinoff. <laughs> it's like way more successful than this. Let's uh <laughs> let's just like casually mean, talk about sets and then eventually like Scarface. Oh, it sounds awful. I'm never listening. <laughs> yeah, to no, that, it's ever. gonna be bad. Uh, it's gonna be bad. With us again, again, is Patrick Holbert. Uh thank you for coming back again again to the show. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. And I don't think Harrison is a sidekick in the sense of him being smaller part of anything or less than i think no. he's a sidekick the same way brad pitt was to leonardo oh, DiCaprio and lo- once upon a time oh the cool i i'm gonna yeah I, you're uh, like cool as hell sexy <laughs> as hell you you're like you're like making sure nobody dies like you're you're the hero oh that's fine i save you uh-huh. i save yeah. you at the I end need yeah. spoiler alert but uh, yeah, yeah have you seen the film i don't want to no. Side oh, let's us. get into that. Uh, <laughs> but I am happy to be back. Uh, uh, oh, we're filming, so they could see me uh, gouge my eye out with a butter knife. <laughs> yes. Said, Producer, where's my butter knife? <laughs> Wait, what is my the joke, joke, though? You guys hate, or you hate movies? No, I love movies. I don't want to talk about them on this show. Oh, yeah, this is yeah, not yeah, about yeah. movies. Focus on yeah. stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of like Paul Giamatti's character in Sideways. <laughs> <and> now, like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. The guy knows wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a great. Oh, I, I know, I know. And I'm, I want to fuck Sandra O in peace. Yeah. Actually, while we're talking about sideways, 
because you are very reminiscent of Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, thank you. I'm very sure much. you get that a lot. I oh, facially, uh, just in general vibes. I don't. Like oh, interesting. At all. all right, you guys are great. Are you in pain? Yeah, are you in pain? I'm feeling a little <laughs> yeah, yeah. pain. All right. Well, that brings us to, to our theme: stand up comedy. Up. Left it up one time. Funny. <laughs> we recorded with Pat for three hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of our more fun recordings. And then, and then uh, through uh, look. Harrison lost the file. Yeah. <laughs> he is in charge of all I'm the. I'm telling uh, you, I lent it to the. Stuff. I lent it to the host of Good One, and then it's just <laughs> gone. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I want to say publicly, this is the better stand-up podcast compared to Good One. Holy good shit! Good One is pretty good, but he doesn't dig in deep because you two are comics. That guy's yeah. not a comic. We're trying to relate it. Uh, I do like that podcast, but nowhere ah. near as technical. And in depth as you guys, and you know, I would love, to, I would partner up with the guy and make that podcast funny. I'd be happy to do that. No, this you <laughs> already have your own thing. Uh, and real quick, yeah, we recorded for three hours, but we also had approximately a two-hour debate before you hit record about whether <laughs> the net has value or not. And this is the last time that special we mentioned because I don't even want to get it into uh, it with you two. Yeah. Uh, I'm right. You're both wrong. I had uh, never seen it, so I couldn't have been wrong. It's insane that we talked about that comedy special <laughs> for as long as we did without recording, and then we hit record. <laughs> and it was also the dead of July, summer heat. Uh, we were all miserable. Yeah. yeah. And then you lost the file. Uh, so. <laughs> it was, it was uh, but now it's we're filming, so people will get to see, uh, inc- like your hair. Like people don't get yeah, to you have great hair. A lot. Wow, or what a gift! Hair, hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're two different times in the '60s. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm <laughs> like uh, I went to prep school. I went to Stanford. I tried to get my shit together. You're a baby killer, man. I'm like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're. A, you, there is I'm, a Manson-esque vibe to oh, you. Also, come on, <laughs> Jesus Christ! And, I'm Ted I mean, Bundy. If that's anyone. how charming. That's how charming oh, you are. Okay. Well, I, never I thought really I put charming with Manson. I don't think he's charming. Manson was a charmer. How do you convince? Yeah, like all women. That were hot too. That was weird. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like Charles Manson. I think Manson. you could be charismatic without being charming. Like Hitler was charismatic. I wouldn't call him charming. He like, must have done something right, yeah, right? Yes. No, uh, sh- yeah. He w- he had conviction, <laughs> yeah. and to some that is charming. Uh, I, and I think just to since since I'm here and I'm on camera too, I think that I make a pretty good Lobot from from Star Wars. You know the guy who was um, like so- this when Lando Calrissian is 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 betraying. Uh, Han Solo. Remember oh, any? Wait, Jeff like- is trying to talk about movies on a comedy podcast. Isn't that weird? <laughs> dude, what the hell, dude? This is uh, about stand-up comedy, I'm man. Also, I'm also so bad with Star Wars. I can't. I, I don't know a lot about Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, well, they only made like one or two of them. <laughs> I, so. I've, Ooh, I've seen yeah. the original three. Big shout out to Lando though, coming out as non-binary. Oh yeah, big, 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 like big, seventy-five years old. Yeah, big weird news. Mm. All right. Yeah. Well, let's get started. With yes. The, uh, let's talk about sets. A podcast about funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, this episode is about pain, and we're excited to get on this because pain is such a big deal in stand-up and in comedy in general. Let's get started with a bit by Gary Goleman. It's from the Late Show with Stephen Colbert in his 2017 set. Thank you so much. You sound great. It's uh, <laughs> good to be here. I'm. Uh, I'm having a good day. Yesterday was tough. I, um, I slept too late. I slept... <sighs> All I know is that I woke up and I was immediately praying, please be AM, please be AM. <laughs> I turned over my phone. It was 1.52 p.m. 
1.52 p.m. and you're thinking, oh, you must have gone to bed really late. 11. <laughs> I slept through an entire M. <laughs> By the way, I woke up at 1.52 p.m. I didn't get up at 1.52 p.m. <laughs> when, when did waking up and getting up become two separate negotiations? Successful people have no idea what I'm talking about. They, they wake up, they get up, they start dominating the world. Everybody else, there's promises and compromises, <laughs> bargains. The other, the other day I said to myself, I couldn't believe it, I said, Gare, I'm very gentle with myself. I said, <laughs> I said Gare, just brush your top teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do laundry. That kept me in bed. I didn't want to do the laundry, and I just, ugh, you gotta separate it and then put it in the wash and take it out of the wash. Put it in the dryer and wait for an angry neighbor to take it out for you. <laughs> then you gotta put it into the laundry bag, dump it on the bed, and sleep around it for two days. <laughs> I wanted to stop there for a second. Like it's it's just because what he's doing is so innocuous and uh relatable and he gets an applause break about mm -hmm. like just there's no joke there. It's one of those you all do this. Yeah. You do this, I do this, you do this. And they're all like, We do Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think that that's a, a, it's a bit of a judo move when you can be so strong with your perspective that you, you just say, we all do this. You do this. You know how you do this. And even if they don't, people are like, yeah, I do for this moment. Yeah, it's such a relatable thing. And that the laundry thing in particular, like I, I definitely did that as a teen. Like mm -hmm. I certainly relate to like being lazy or like not wanting to deal with life's basic responsibilities. So yeah, certainly people are just relating from their own experiences. And then I would imagine, Harrison, you watched your mom do it. No, I did. I actually, I will attest, I was a very, I was a chore boy. I did a lot of my own laundry from middle school on. I was pretty good, pretty good with that. Uh, all right, I'm sorry. I, I, I forget. But when she didn't tell me to do it. Boy, oh boy, did I take advantage. Yeah. And that lasted well into my late 20s that I'm currently living in. <laughs> <laughs> your laundry sits in your house until your mom calls. Ooh. And she's like, I want to see a picture timestamp today. Yeah, no, now, it's, now I got a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep going. The thing that got me out of bed yesterday was um, I made a promotion in my head. It was... Um, Everybody who gets out of bed by three gets a donut. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got the donut. I got the donut. I, <laughs> I set goals and I achieved them. <laughs> why is it so hard to get out of bed? I'll, t I'll tell you why. Because the thing that they don't tell you growing up about life is this. Life, hmm, it's every single day. <laughs> <laughs> every single day you have to wake up and live and go through all the maintenance and the upkeep and, oh, 
I can't wait to have a caregiver. <laughs> the thing that gets me through, though, is donuts and ice cream. I love ice cream, but I have this thing where I have to... I don't want to eat the entire pint, so I say just eat half the pint. But then when I get halfway through, I have this compulsion where I need to leave a flat surface. <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I leaving the flats for the day crew? That's <laughs> uh, so funny. That might be my favorite line. Why? Just for the day crew, like this, this silly, just the absurd image of uh, a tiny construction crew in a pint of ice cream, <laughs> or like he didn't even smooth uh, it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like just another person picking up where he left up. Whatever it is, like. Yeah, like it's just such a silly idea, uh-huh, uh, uh, and and yeah. it's Im- immediately conjures an image for anyone listening. Right, and it's just one. It's just the day crew. Yeah, it's so short. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a left turn. Who am I doing this for? Sure. You might think he's about to say my wife or my whatever, but the day crew. Yeah, like what a yeah. specific yeah. thing. And I wonder too. Like, does it imply? sort of like a, a duality for him as well. Like the, the um, just like the, you, you can feel different at night versus at day, mm. right? Like at night you're, you're, you're eating ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's like when you have your, your uh, willpower is, is absolute lowest. Right. Right. And then they're in the, the day crew. Like that happens to me. Like the day crew for me is, is a very different version than the night crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the day I'm like, let's go to the gym. Let's, uh-huh. let's, uh, let's, get out in the world let's eat some vegetables let's have a salad uh-huh. and at night it's like let's get back to this poison <laughs> all right they'll come in and be outraged by all the crags and crannies in this it's... but I, I find myself eating it flat i eat more and then i'll come across a chocolate chunk and i'll have to excavate that <laughs> great. great yeah great use and then there's a pothole i gotta smooth that over i'm doing all this ice cream masonry work and then then it starts to melt around the edges and that's delicious so i have to eat that (laughs) before i know it i've hit bottom literally and figuratively i've hit bottom and i just i finish the ice cream and i put the fork down (laughs) (laughs) more often than not I use a fork to eat ice cream. And uh, if you eat ice cream with a fork, I know you so well. I know you so well. Because my policy is I'm not washing a spoon until I'm all out of forks. (laughs) (laughs) And people say, why don't you just wash a spoon? (laughs) Why don't I shower? <laughs> fork prints in ice cream. Oh, if I see fork print, I know your world. Fork prints in ice cream are evidence of a life in chaos. Chaos. If I see fork prints in your ice cream, I don't need to see your kitchen. I know the dishes are piled so high you can't refill the Brita. <laughs> Not that I should refill the bread. I haven't changed the filter in four years. Uh. I don't need to go into your bedroom. I know there's no top sheet on your bed. 
the top sheet is tacked up over the window as a curtain. <laughs> I don't need to go into your bathroom. I know that the new roll of toilet paper is resting on the empty spool. It's the only household chore I can do while sitting on the toilet. <laughs> and I'm like, not today. <laughs> not today. I don't have the strength to squeeze that spindle and lock it in. Thank you so much. Man. He makes a lot of light work of pretty bleak circumstances and imagery. Like, I... Uh, in my first real career, I was a documentary filmmaker, and oftentimes I shot pieces about drug addicts or people in uh, uh, dysfunctional relationships or horrible living conditions or or dealing with depression or emotional issues. Uh, another weird side job I have now is sometimes I'll do these sober companion jobs where I end up working with people who might not have drawn a sober breath in months. So I've seen a lot of these kinds of things he's describing in person, like a person's kitchen just overrun with dishes and uh, cockroaches. And uh, yeah, the bed hasn't been made or cleaned. Maybe it smells like piss where they're living. You know, really bleak circumstances, uh, which is painful for anybody to be living in a depression like that. It, it is painful. Uh, and now that we've heard so much from Gary this last year leading up to his special, uh, we now know like that set he recorded in 2017 on Colbert was right before he things got really, really ugly for him. Uh, so he's telling us all about these little snapshots of his incredibly painful and bleak life that is spinning out of control with Glee. a lot of fun. Glee. <laughs> Glee. Glee. Yeah. But you can kind of hear it in his voice that he's sad. Yeah. There's something he's in grimace a... smiling. Yeah. In the video. Yeah. It's like, he's going to hide under a rock after the set. There's something about him that just seems like mm -hmm. I, I've come Good out. Luck. He's like six foot nine. Yeah. yeah. No. It's big rock. It's like, he's come out to perform this. Cause this is all he has. Because he's that sad. He was on Jessica Kirsten's podcast, uh, relatively saying that that set was like the only good five minutes he wrote that year. Wow. And uh, so when you say like this is all he has, it kind of literally was like he was in such a creative bottom. At because that time. when you're depressed, it's so hard to write about anything other than what you're feeling. Yeah. And also, if you're not, I mean, I'm speaking on as someone that's like about to be in my like sixth year at some like soon. Uh, if you're not a good enough comedian to just talk about what right. you're going through, like in a really vulnerable way, it's hard to do any stand up at all because the rest of your jokes usually hinge on you having some kind of um, energy for the subject. Right. And so I can imagine it's like, Jesus Christ, like he had this killer, Colbert set, and that's all he yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my that I did not know that at all. There is uh, there's something about psychological pain too that's sort of um, unless like I was, even grief can be embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Like like psychological pain is an embarrassing thing to share with people because it seems weak. Mm. And here he is like outlining his inability to do the most basic things mm -hmm. and the crowd is eating it up. Yeah. And it's interesting the turn where 
everyone relates to the laundry, not putting it away soon enough. The laundry's on the bed, but then he goes into, uh, I can barely brush my teeth. Why don't I shower? Uh The dishes are piled up and he's still got them laughing at those things. Even though most people probably no longer relate to those, those things. He can do so much with a guffaw. Mm-hmm. With a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like, no, <laughs> why don't I yeah. shower? Yeah. <laughs> why don't I? Sh- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, yeah, I guess he's he's making a whole sentence. He's giving us a whole thought in that sound, and then he cuts to his punch sooner. So it's it's a uh, an economy thing. It's really great. I yeah. used to think that it was strange that this was working so well on a late night show. You know, it's just like a great late night set. Um, but then I was like, no, this kind of is the j- material for anyone. I think anyone could really relate to this because, okay, for, for like working it out, like people like he's probably working out at a place like the Comedy Cellar. And 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 uh, youthful shows in like Brooklyn and Manhattan, where it's like a lot of people in New York City, you know, it's like it's this hip, cool place where it's like there's so much to do, but that can be very overwhelming and depressing, and we can hole up in our apartment. So there's that like kind of demographic he can he can hit with it, but also. Uh, and I don't know this for sure, but what I've heard is that late night tapings, it's often tourists. They're like, we're in New York. We're going to go see Colbert. We're going to go see, yeah. you know, like Fallon or whatever. So what it, it is, is it's probably like a lot of people, middle-aged folks, or maybe like, uh, couples in their forties, fifties, sixties visiting the city, probably either, uh, like in marriages that are hard and make you want to curl up in a ball or, or maybe like they're divorced or maybe they're just like on vacation from their life. That is so hard. So I feel like even if there's like a married couple that can't relate to like the staying in bed all day and not doing any dishes, they they could probably be like, God, I know that feeling. And if I were alone right now, I would be doing that. So I feel like that's why it can kind of hit with anyone Yeah, and that it like, but, I mean, it's a gutsy thing to do on late night, but I feel like it's almost more gutsy to see if the like booker of late night would want you to do mm. that material yeah, rather than the it's, actual. It's also Gary Goldman. I mean, I think it's a. Oh, well, he's not going to be worried about. Yeah, yeah. I, I he can know, just pitch whatever. I don't know how it works, but I, I don't think that's probably. He's all that concerned with that. I mean, yeah. He's hammering it out of the cellar. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also, he's just such got such a proven track record with late night sets. Like his. Uh, so comfortable. The postal abbreviation like set from man, Conan yeah, is so brilliant. Totally. It, doesn't have much to do with pain, but uh, yeah, he's just a master. Let's talk about the different um, aspects of pain in comedy. Because there's like there's physical pain, there's psychological pain, right? And uh, there's um, like physical pain. We've seen that turned into humor and comedy, like so much. Like it's so funny seeing people get hurt, but as long as they're not hurt, yeah. Like in pain, like I mean, slapstick is that literally people getting hurt yeah right and i think that's 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 sort of the essence of using pain in comedy is that it has to kind of be okay at the end yeah and you're making this painful thing okay and in all in that journey from pain to okay that's where the relief that release of tension that causes us to laugh yeah that's interesting so many of the emotionally painful things that i sometimes bring up on stage it's not until the audience knows that 
everything's going to be all right, mm-hmm. that they really settle into laughing at it. Uh, so yeah, I, that's so good to remember that you have to make it okay. It's just a rare bit of comedy that involves some kind of emotional or physical pain that people can laugh at when they don't think you're all right. Right. I, I, I can't say it, it can't happen, but uh, I, I think it's pretty rare. And psychological pain's different too, because psychological pain is unlike physical pain, it usually an indication of damage. Yeah. Right? It's your body's warning system being like, whoa, 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 chill out. Uh, watch out. This is a problem. Whereas um, psychological pain is often a sign of growth. Mm. Mm. Learning a lot of times is painful. Um, embarrassment oh, is about you going, well, fuck, I don't want to do that again. That was an awful experience. I I didn't know that it was going to be that bad, um, uh, and and then dealing learning from that experience. That's why breakups are so sad. You're like, oh, I'm not right for that person. They got a lot of opportunity to see if I was. <laughs> and so it's like I got to go back to the drawing board on me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But psychological pain, I think, is 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 funny for people, if and only if they sort of think you're past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think too soon is a thing for like if you like uh, if you get on stage and you're like, uh, my wife left me for the mailman today. I feel enraged and I want to kill somebody. (laughs) Do you guys mind if I work this out for 15 minutes? A lot of audiences will be like they'll want to hear a little bit because that's spicy stuff. But if you're not bringing jokes right away about it, they're going to be like, I'm not sitting through. You said something this to me therapy was, session. You said something yeah. that was really important when we were performing at Brick, Brick Spot a lot, and you were just like, you said, "Well, you got to ask yourself, like, who's doing the emotional lifting? Mm. Are you doing it, or is the audience doing it?" Wow, I'm smart. I don't even remember saying that. That's yeah. that's good stuff. It's a good thing you have a witness. <laughs> Brilliant. So, well, why do okay if if you need to be passive, then why do you think the Gary Goldman thing works so well? Because it's clearly sitting in it. Because he's okay with it right now. I okay. think, and That's the jokes, point. and also the jokes are so good. Like yeah. if the if if <laughs> yeah. the jokes are so good, it's like immediate permission to laugh at him. I, I know it's not I his think. pain, but it's like the pain of society in Chappelle's uh, Bird Revelation. It's like he's talking about the me too accusations like within the week or first two weeks that he's like yeah. talking about things that people aren't even fine with discussing yeah. and like to yeah. their friends yet. But his and, jokes are so solid. Yeah. It's so, it's so <laughs> unfair that it's like, sometimes you're just better than, uh, <laughs> sadness is hard. <laughs> yeah. And he, but he also gets a little more leeway cause he's, a tw- you know 25 year veteran or whatever yeah. uh uh of people who have been trusting him with their sense of humor for we decades we turn to him for his perspective yeah um and also man confidence can get you a long <laughs> yeah. way and like, silliness like to sit to sit on a cuz that was the one in the belly room where he's right? just yeah sitting on a stool like yeah. sitting and smoking and like eye to eye with that audience yeah. like uh there's certain people who have this sage presence and you're like, all right, just tell me how I feel about the world. Well, we want him to tell us what's happening. Yeah. Almost like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like the wise man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So going back to the sort of individualized pain, um, to me, I, I was watching it 
see, I'm curious if this checks out. He seems real mad at himself, but at the same, but he's like, he's not expressing it, but he's disgusted with his behavior. Yeah. And yet also like, I guess it's okay. Like he even says, I'm real gentle with myself. Yeah. I'm trying to decide if he's how pissed he is at himself. It's almost more like at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's depression in general is anger turned inward. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Like, like his, his sort of scoff. When he says, ha, why don't I shower? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because he has such disdain yeah. for his own behavior. He's like, yeah, I'm pathetic. Uh-huh. Like, Which is kind of, there's, I, I think, and I could be projecting here real easy, <laughs> but I think he's, I, I think he's, he's mad. He's like, mm-hmm. he's, he's like, why don't I do better at this? I guess this is just like, like, why, why can't I just behave? Yeah. I don't know. Does that check out at all? Or yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And it's uh, yeah. I wonder. I hope he got some kind of relief out of expressing it with his creativity. You know, maybe like, just feel less alone. Yeah, like I'm curious how because I I don't have a lot of personal experience with depression, so it's like to go on late night with Stephen Colbert, uh, the Late Show, kill it, get these big laughs from strangers about the bleakest parts of your life um like did he go did he sleep in again the next day until 2 p.m you know makes me wonder yeah that's a good question because things certainly did get worse for him that year you know uh so but it seems like he's out of it now well i think maybe maybe it was good for him i like shared pain withers yes and shared joy uh grows Mm. right and in the in this is that roomy Huh? Is that Rumi? What do you mean? Do you know the like the ancient Buddhist or whatever R U M I? That's tell. just so nice what you just said. Uh, it's like something I would I feel like I would see on a bath mat. Have you seen my bath mat? No. Does it say something <laughs> on it? I'm gonna I'm gonna, of, I'm gonna get my sharpie. There's a lot of mushrooms right growing out of <laughs> yeah. it now, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shared pain withers, shared joy grows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and nice. I think that both of those things are happening at the same time while he's on stage. Yes. Right. He's, yeah. He's, he's sharing his pain and it sort of withers in that moment together. They're all laughing together and he's sharing the joy of being funny um, about it. And that grows together. That's so nice. Yeah. This is another thing wow. I was wondering about it. Do you think that for those that don't know, Gary Goldman, uh, Jeff alluded to it before. He's like a six, seven giant, big, handsome guy. Do you think it helps that he's talking about this and he looks kind of like a Greek statue of a man, like in a fetal position? Like that might actually be a factor. And I mean, I'm mm, sure I'm the not saying like contrast between his majestic, yeah, uh, stature. But he's like, he's like, look, I like I'm my he, like he just is he's built to be a tough football player, yeah. basketball player, and then he just like is wilting. Yeah, and it's like that is really endearing, and that's really humanizing because yeah. how many times do you see just like a giant motherfucker at like the gym yeah. on the sidewalk? You'd be like, that motherfucker, he'd murder me in one. He'd yeah, just like flick he's, me. He's got life. By the balls, he must be. Whatever, yeah, but and really... to see him just like in so much pain is yeah. very like, oh man, we're all we're all one. Yeah, <laughs> it's like very. Yeah, I wonder if that's a factor. Yeah, and I wonder if he plays with that at all because you know it is always fun like to have the old you know little thing in your back pocket of like I know I look like this, but really I'm this or yeah, whatever yeah. you know, uh, like you know with my sexual deviance stuff. Like I, it's fun to say like, yeah, I know I know I look like a 
youth pastor or a boy scout leader, but I'm into these things, you know? Yeah. Uh, and of course those are I, I, for the listener I should we should point out he's not saying don't let him around your children. No, <laughs> yeah. I work here with kids. <laughs> no, it'll be a real sexual awakening for them. <laughs> <laughs> don't let the, don't let me around them but like if I could at least Skype with them. And and Pat is uh he goes to colleges so just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> he does a lot of gigs yeah. at colleges. Yeah. yeah. I a little now, old but uh yeah. yeah. I've now given up on uh, censoring whatever on podcasts. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to talk about <laughs> my my actual life uh, and not overthink that shit. So, yeah. no, I feel uh, that. College Booker's listening to this. Um, he fucks kids and yeah. he's proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's about to have a kid. Um, great. Well, that's yes. the, well, that's the poll quote yeah. for sure. That okay? that's, that's definitely the poll quote. Yeah, I got a kid coming in June. <laughs> And, and you've I'm had not- kids coming all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> we focus on the darkness and the pain, both societal pain and personal pain um, in comedy. Uh, I mean, that's like it's it's a dark art. Like yeah. That. And it's a it's also a bit of a professional hazard. Yes. In what way? Like you can just end up bogged down with like crummy shit in your head. Sure, that also, just like where bre- people can get upset at with at you for talking about it is that Man, well that there's that too. I mean, there are people who don't want to be reminded about certain parts of pain in their lives, and they bring that baggage into a show. Yeah, um, and it, like I just was at a show where the other one of the other comedians, very funny guy, David Piccolomini. I've been touring with him. He did a show. He did. A, he has a joke about how he had sex with a, a girl he liked, and she had a, had a tracheotomy, and and he's very very funny and very silly. But there's a guy. Fucking losing his mind in the back. Oh, shit. Like, being like, my dad had a tracheotomy. It's like, this isn't about how he fucked your dad. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I hope there was some hilarious. Like, he wanted to charge the stage. He was like, he was fucking flipping out. Oh, and God. It, and, but it, it, us bringing up these painful subjects, then making light of them. Can so that trigger we can all, people. Like, like, shine some light in the darkness together. Yeah. It, it can be really triggering. It's a sure. hazard. Yeah, yeah. And some audiences came to a comedy show to not think right. about these things. Right. To be yeah. freed from concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning that the hard way Ooh, with some tell. sets. Uh, the other night I was on stage for 55 minutes for people in the middle of Pennsylvania talking about uh, infidelity in my marriage uh, oh, that I created a few years ago, uh, talking about alcoholism talking about uh, different addictions, porn, porn addiction, you know, getting into some like actual real autobiographical stuff. And you can see them start to pull away like, yeah. oh, I don't want to hear this guy's mm. like real struggles. I, w- I thought he was going to talk about airplane food, you yeah. know? Right. Uh, right. You know, it sucks when it feels like, oh, like, because there's always some people that are feeling it and they're into it and they mm-hmm. want to hear that kind of stuff. But then it, it's a real bummer when you feel people just just rejecting you, like yeah. rejecting uh, your experience. So that's uh, but that's a learning process is that for every autobiographical joke I have about um, whatever deep secret or shame or pain that I have, I need to have a rock solid outward looking bit 
that appeals to any listener yeah. uh, on the same topic. So like just building more and more saves into the set so that you keep, you keep winning that. them back. For, and for uh, just for some backstory, um, Pat has um, had the misfortune of dealing with me for quite a while. Uh. <laughs> so I, know, I, I believe we're coming up on six years of yeah, knowing each other. Yeah, I'm sorry. But this, the, the, just put it aside for a second, okay? Cannot bring your, that baggage in here. It's Pat. a gift. <laughs> you have been a gift. <laughs> so the... Uh, and. I remember when you were doing jokes early on um, that were you showed none of that, not a lick. It was very just like uh, corny dad jokes and puns, um, which I'm not saying those aren't still a mainstay of your act. But they, <laughs> <laughs> but they and then and I remember having writing sessions with you and talking with you and be just being like, "Where are you in this? I want to see you." Oh yeah, and you fuck it, something like snapped in you, and the, and then you started talking about. Uh, all these things in your life, and you took off, man. Well, my life uh, was falling apart, and uh, yeah, I had I cheated on my wife. I got honest with her. Thankfully, yeah, don't do that. Uh, nobody, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, she stayed, um, and the circumstances around that were pretty uh, pretty outlandish. And I got accepted into a comedy festival where they wanted to do a storytelling show, and they said. We want people to tell their most shameful stories. And to me, shame is pain. Uh, it's, it's definitely a type of psychological pain. Yeah. yeah. And I told my wife uh, that I was doing that show. And I was like, maybe I'll do this story about the drinking stuff. And she was like, why don't you just tell tell them what happened with us? And when I had the permission for my wife to talk very openly about the the infidelity and the sexual proclivities I have that led to that infidelity... Yeah, it just led to like jokes just falling out of the sky uh, because I felt so connected to, I guess, telling the truth, uh, which is weird. It's weird when you you become aligned with what it's like people talk about finding your voice all the time. But I think it's also becoming aligned with like what you want to just say, like what what feels important to talk about to you. Uh, the writing becomes easy. Ultimately, hopefully, we get to this point where when we're on stage, it's the same level of comfort and freedom that we have when we're joking around with our friends. Right. And include, included in that is disclosure about, about our pain. You know? Yeah. Like, that's part of friendship. That's part of any kind of bond is you, you share your pain with people yeah. that matter to you. Well, on, on stage, it's, a, it's an illusion, we're giving them the impression that we're best friends for an hour mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, to be able to do that and give that impression and, and make that connection is a long road. Yeah. Right. And you stop hide, you stopped hiding behind your jokes and then your jokes supported what you wanted to say hmm. instead. It's fun to watch. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. That makes some of the pain go away. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, um, how do how do we want to frame this? Um, the the thing about Jews. Oh yeah, I w- I was just thinking about the yeah. generational pain of and the historic like passed down pain of the Holocaust mm-hmm. and how Jews are like classically hilarious people. You know, like some of the funniest 
people in entertainment in general are Jewish people. Yeah. And uh, I think that... Go on about that ha- has, I think it's been written about. I think there's books about how... I, mean, like, I just like hearing it. Humor. Yeah. I think humor is a reaction, like a, a way to process intense pain, as we've been talking about. And the Holocaust is quite possibly the most painful thing to have happened to a large group of people. And uh, I, I'm sure... We have so many hilarious Jewish comedians now because they were raised in families that um, communicated and talked and probably not joked a lot about the Holocaust, even though there are great bits about uh, Nazis and death camps and... Oh, I mean, look, look, at, look at Mel Brooks's Hitler on Ice. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, I just think it's an interesting big, big level, big picture pain that people went through. Jews, blacks, Irish. Those three groups dominate stand-up co- comedy yeah, in, in yeah. America in particular. And they are the the, the most downtrodden group. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, it's changing mm-hmm. <laughs> drastically. Yeah. And we're seeing the demographic of stand-up comedians change, I think, with that. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. But... Yeah. Uh, and that's why... Also women, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's why, that's why I, as a, I'm Jewish and Irish... And and that's why I always date black women because I want to make the perfect <laughs> yeah the, the comedy baby yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I even like went a step further now I'm with a uh, Dominican who's who's black and is blackino yeah there and you so go. did I'm, you say blackino 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 I did not come up with that nice. I've heard yeah. that many times yeah uh, yeah so and I was like and I just act, that was an accident yeah, so yeah. Now, I mean come on like yeah you were hoping for standard uh, issue I, yeah I am this is this is my version of eugenics yeah. I'm <laughs> so a master so, comedic race yeah God willing uh, in another generation somebody in your house will be successful at comedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? They, they will have so much pain to deal with after my suicide. I will definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was talking to Mandy, my girlfriend, and we were talking about like if we had kids, and I was like, "Well, I want to be, I want to have a kid." Like when I've found success in comedy, because you don't want me to be the bitter dad mm. who's like, it's like, daddy, I, I, I made this painting. And it's like, it doesn't fucking matter or yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like ashamed that he wasn't an artist, so he has to tear down his children. Like that's what I'll be if, yeah. he, if we have kids and I'm just not doing well in comedy. Your, your kids like making your making Mandy laugh, and and you're just seething. Yeah, yeah. just like yeah. oh fucking, what did you do in front of fifty people? Yeah. What is humor? Yeah, yeah. How did you do it at a mic? Sorry, the creak in the game at eleven. Mandy's, yeah, Mandy's like shell shocked. She's like, what do, what do we say about jokes at dinner? What do we say? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it triggers daddy's not PTSD. Front, not, in front of, not in front of daddy. He's, he, he never got over losing his hair. <laughs> that's so what, Oh, man. Man, that's how I'm going to get funny. Yeah. Uh, and then um, addiction and pain. Addiction is rampant throughout stand up comedy. It, again, another occupational hazard. And. Um, Psychological pain is great teacher, but if you're addicted, you don't. You typically don't learn from your pain. Yeah, and uh, and alcoholism or drug abu- drug addiction, uh, people subconsciously turn to those things because they work. Uh, at first, it works to get drunk and then not have to think about, oh, do my friends actually like me? Am I depressed? Yeah. Am I am I anxious? this tool like works for me. So I don't have to think about those things. And when it gets out of control and 
pain actually does enter your life, like maybe you're losing jobs or whatever, you continue to use that tool to try to fix it. And then it just, the cycle continues. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I got sober 11 years ago. And when I started comedy, I just found that talking about the pain of, uh, alcoholism was a lot of fun for me to process that, that kind of those sources of pain. Um, and a lot of people, tons of comics to, uh, do comedy about their addiction issues. Um, Artie Lang is making a huge comeback right now. Uh, I don't think he's getting super into his drug and alcohol issues, but some of his gambling stories are just insane and hilarious. Uh, so yeah, I love, I love hearing anybody talk about their addiction stuff. It's like, it's hard to, if you're addicted to something to not supplement it with a different addiction mm. and maybe one that's not as obvious. Yeah. Like we oh, both, yeah. We, you cy- oh, I cycle like crazy. Yeah. 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 And silly ones. Too. Like food. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it could be sex is another yeah. one. Um, yeah. It's just, it's crazy. And it's it, comedy. It's like, there's so many people in pain, all these fucking comics. Yeah. And they're like at bars all the time yeah. around people smoking cigarettes and weed. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's not normal that we go to places full of strangers trying to get affection and validation from rooms full of people we'll never see again to feel a little bit okay about ourselves. Yeah. And the crazy thing up. is like I, I can the pain I feel when it doesn't go well yeah. lasts until it goes well again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm only as good as my last set. Yeah. It's it, I try work on it and I, yeah. I, I, I I you know do all kinds of mental work to be a healthy person like that and still I I'll, deep down I'll be like I, it's just just have a fucking bad set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know it's also funny it's like when you do comedy and you do like if you have that great set it's important, even if you have a bad set. I don't know what those are like, but I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, no. But when you when you have a good set or a bad set, to transition directly from that to hanging out with other comics and friends on the show, or if you invited <laughs> yeah. people to the yeah. show, hang out with them. <laughs> yeah, because you want to like, because then that changes Hide it. Forever. Like, there's yeah. a diff- There's a big difference in having a good set and having a great night. You know what I mean? It's like you could have a great set. And then not have a great night. Yeah. But you can, there's a really, uh, there's a great way to have a great night if you take the energy, you have that enthusiasm about the set and be like, and look, now here are my friends. Yeah. Now we're going to get to talk about like the thing we love that we're pursuing that we just did all together. Or like if uh, if someone you know watched you in the show and you get to talk to them after the show, it's like important to share those moments so that you don't go home thinking, what is it all for? I'm just chasing that dragon again. And yeah. instead of being like, this is like the lifestyle I set out for. I, I definitely, I've had shows on the road where it's just like, I'll have a nice long set and it just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. But then when I go back to the hotel, who am I kidding? When I go back to the motel, <laughs> <laughs> when I go back to the car's back seat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then I'll just be like, like it's just a, it's a very lonely feeling. Well, that's yeah. that's where you have to have a bigger. I mean, that's where like you know, like an addict would say, that's where you have to have a higher power. That's mm-hmm. where you have to like have a deeper faith 
and connection with something bigger than Re- ourselves. Relationships like, help. Good yeah, like if you have somebody help. you can call or like... I met with Jesus. Yeah, or if you <laughs> could pray. Like, I I believe in all that shit, man. I'm like uh, like, like uh, a big spiritual geek, and mm. uh, it's, it's, it's scary, especially if you have um, tendencies toward uh, like negative emotional states, like it can be, uh, you know, when you're in your own head after a big victory or a horrible defeat, it could be like enemy territory. So oh, absolutely. You have to, you have to have some kind of support. And I think what Harrison's saying about a group of people is the best way to go. But yeah, when you're out there alone on the road or with somebody you barely know, mm-hmm. that can be challenging. Uh, I find milkshakes help. <laughs> that's your god yeah yeah <laughs> i will face fuck a rally's large <laughs> chocolate milkshake uh with a with a couple cheeseburgers and oh my god all the pain goes away one thing that i found it helps is actually getting back to work i like 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 sitting down editing the the thing i just recorded yeah or um looking through my notes and try to compare like oh what did i do versus what i thought i wanted to do like just just getting back into that for a second and and trying to remove emotional attachment from it like becoming an objective observer of your own work is Mm -hmm. huge oh it's so important uh i've been transcribing my sets these last uh three months uh prepping this solo show and doing all these storytelling mics and just writing out every syllable of the set in a in a word document an international pronunciation alphabet (laughs) (laughs) and listening to it at half speed so i can keep up with With the the typing yes uh and it's crazy that slowing down the sound of your own voice makes you kind of forget that it's you talking. Oh. And then you also start hearing opportunities for where a different word or joke will fit in. So you slow it down. Yeah, I listen to it at half speed. Oh, wow. Uh, and it, I have to keep pausing because I can't type that fast. We don't spoon. We scratch. <laughs> have you seen my hour? That's just 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... I've done some late night transcribing when, yeah, basically if you could turn off your thinking and just do the work or whatever, I think it's probably better to not do it the same night, but. uh, I'll work on it on a set from before. Yeah. I don't Uh, like to look at it the same night. I'll do what I do. You know what? This is. uh, You listen to your sets immediately. I listen to my sets pretty, as soon as I'm like on the train home, if I'm not with people. I've seen you start listening to them during your set. Like, like, I don't know how you do it. I it's always amazing. wanted to do this thing. I thought this would be a funny way. You'd have to get everything perfectly set up so that the, you knew the mic would catch the audio. I always thought it'd be funny if a joke bombed, but it's a joke you know kills. Like having that ready and be like, oh, yeah. Oh, and then yeah. playing it back and like listening to them get it's, like, you're wrong. Uh, yeah. you're, Look how much fun you could be having. Four times the number of people at this yes. year. All right. Who's audiencing wrong? It's I, fucking you. It's fucking you guys. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. Let's play some of your material, Patrick, from the Best of New Talent Night, the New York Comedy Festival in 2018. Thank you so much. You guys, I'm celebrating. Last week marked 10 years sober. Can I share that? Thank you. Yeah, I can't believe it. 10 years straight, not a drop of alcohol, not an ounce of weed, not a shred of fun. <laughs> I have a good time. I go to the support group where we celebrate these anniversaries by calling them birthdays. So last week, I became a 10-year-old boy. (laughs) 
And from what I understand, if I stay sober long enough, when I turn 21, I think I get to drink again. <laughs> Me and you, buddy. Now, it'd actually be horrible. It'd be horrible if I drank again, because every time I got wasted, I would take off all my clothes and climb buildings. I was like a sex offender Spider-Man. And I went to jail for that kind of behavior, and I learned a lot of lessons in that experience. Uh, the main one is that cops hate it when you smile in your mugshot. Yeah, I'll never forget it. The dude was like, all right, back against the wall. And I was like, what's up? And the other, the other officer goes, that is fantastic. That is. I'll get drunk on that tonight. But, oh. So I'm smiling against the wall in my mugshot. And the other officer goes, hey, Sarge, it looks like we got a comedian. I was like, oh, my God, these guys believe in me. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't just enjoy a couple drinks, you guys. Every time I had one drink, it had to turn into an epic night, you know? I'd be shotgunning beers, I'd be doing jello shots, I'd be butt-chugging vodka. And one time this guy said, sir, this is a pet store. And the drunker I got, the booze would talk to me in my head. It would be like, hey, Patrick, this is a fun brunch with all your coworkers, but it's not epic. How about five more whiskeys and then a good cry in front of the whole gang? <laughs> yeah. I knew it was a problem when I was 25. I googled how to stop drinking, and of course AA kept coming up. So I went to AA.com, which didn't help at all because that's the American Airlines website. <laughs> Drank for three more years. Went on several low-fare trips to Orlando, Florida. <laughs> that crazy. So I've been talking laugh. about this stuff at these colleges. Yeah, shows she was insane. There's an insane laugh. Yeah, right. this woman. I forgot how messy that part got because this woman had a distractingly strange cackle uh, that <laughs> I had to. I had yeah. to acknowledge, uh, which you know, for a show like that, it's like you kind of want to just stick to the. Script. She's heckling you in the nicest way possible. Yes, yes. She's ignorantly heckling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is funny how uh, an entire recording can be ruined by somebody whose laugh is the most distinctive thing. It's in distinct. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've been talking about this stuff at these college shows I do about substance abuse, and I was on a campus the other day, and I was setting up my PowerPoint, and I overheard a student in the audience say to his buddy, he was like. This guy's gonna talk to us about addiction? What's he addicted to, hair products? <laughs> and the other kid was like, yeah, he looks like a Toyota Prius became a person. <laughs> <laughs> you laughed too loud at that, my man. Yeah, I, I thank God I quit. I do, I, I have to admit, I miss drinking. It looks like you guys are having a great time. Like, I, I get triggered sometimes. Like, I walk into a bar room like that over there. I catch a whiff of that rag that they clean the place up with. <laughs> it smells delicious. <laughs> Makes my mouth water. Like, if it existed, I would buy that scent at Yankee Candle. The lady's like, but it's Christmas. Our best seller is cinnamon stick and pine cone. I'm like, do you sell bar rag? <laughs> I miss brunch. You guys like Sunday brunch? Sunday fun day? Woo! Oh, it's the best, right? You start at 11, get fucked up all day long. Yeah, she's still drunk from brunch yesterday. 
was a drinking marathon for her. There was a marathon in New York City yesterday, but nobody remembers that. We ran it. Uh, yeah, I miss brunch, man. I, I miss it because you just get wasted all day long. But drinking like that anywhere else, like my hometown, if your drinking involves stacks of pancakes and bottomless champagne, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> in New York City, you're just Amanda. <laughs> I had I had a couple of Amandas at a show recently, uh, and they yelled at me during my set. They were like, "So do you miss us? Are you jealous of us drinkers? Are you jealous of us drinkers?" I'm like, "Well, what are you drinking?" They're like, "We drank so much prosecco." I'm like, "No, I'm not jealous of drinkers. I'm jealous the way I drank. I'm jealous of drunks." You know, I'm not jealous of Miranda and Jenny and their Prosecco. I'm jealous of the guy that lives under their porch. <laughs> like, I'm jealous of the guy that when he gets fucked up, he's like, I haven't had a human emotion in four years. I spent the holiday season on the Staten Island Ferry. I have no idea how old I am. Like, that's the drinking of the miss. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I had to slow down. I had to quit. I, uh, I, I do get addicted to other things, though. I have to admit it. Uh, like, I, I, I've been eating ice cream like a horrible, mean, angry alcoholic. Really, last night I had a bad show. I went home. I binged on two pints of Haagen-Dazs, and then I kicked my dog down the stairs. <laughs> I just love how upset people get in that joke. I don't have a dog, you guys. But the neighbors across the hall do, and that thing was in my way. I think uh, my therapist thinks I have an addiction to porn, perhaps. She thinks I should stop watching porn, and she brought that up. I got defensive. I was like, Jenny, I don't even watch it that often. And she was like, well, could you turn the volume down when you're in here? Then she said this Jeff weird McBride thing. gave like, me that you know, punchline. Porn is like a silent vampire that will steal away your creativity. I was like, well, that's going to be hard to quit because my favorite genre of porn is vampire porn. <laughs> I want to suck your balls. <laughs> you remember Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, I uh, got to be careful of all that stuff. You hear me? Jesus Christ, 14 years old. I'm, I'm a 37-year-old man. I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, fuck. I've had HPV longer than he's been out of kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are clapping because they know it's funny. Everybody else is embarrassed because they also have it. <laughs> That's what it stands for, you guys. Highly popular virus. <laughs> My wife's sober, too. She used to do so much cocaine, it actually damaged the inside of her face. Yeah. Uh, I know it's horrifying, but it's kind of nice because she never snores, she just whistles. Uh. Call it the Colombian bird call. <laughs> I wish you guys could meet her. My wife's so tall and lanky like I am that when she goes to bed at night and we spoon, we, we can't spoon, we can only spatula. <laughs> Oh, I'd say uh, that's a dad joke for his dad. Good night, everybody. I'm Patrick Holman. I like hate listening to myself in front of two other comics. This is horribly painful. <laughs>
if it makes you feel any better, it was awful for us too. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. That's good. I'm glad we got to listen you've to it list- a second I mean, time. I feel Jesus. Like, yeah, and I feel like you guys both probably heard all we, that I, shit like hundreds of I times. Know, I know. We've I know your act. At least you know. I mean, we've worked together so much. I know your act really well, and like I've had so much time to learn to loathe all every piece of it. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, man. It's good. To, it's cool to see it. Like just killing at Caroline's. They loved yeah. it. I, I, it, man, it's so nice to hear because they were like juiced up. I went up in like the sweet spot of the show, it was middle of the show. Jean Marco Ceresi was emceeing. Mm-hmm. Like it was sold. I believe it was no, it wasn't sold out, but it was like two thirds capacity. They were there to laugh, you know. And in New York City, people have a sense of humor, you know. Yeah. And I'm just listening like this thing about like uh, I wish I was drunk like the guy on the 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 subway. Uh, it's like pretty heavy duty, like. I, what I'm saying is I would prefer to not be in reality. Yeah. I want to be so fucked up. I don't even know where I live or how old I am, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, smaller crowds that don't have a sense of humor that don't get that I'm laying it on thick become concerned and like yeah. they're turned off by that well, and they start pulling away. You know, why do you think that is? I suppose, uh, yeah, I suppose I'm not doing the job of making it okay for them. I wasn't uh, trying to pin you to the wall. I, <laughs> uh, I, I was uh, just saying, like, at some level, they're misinterpreting you. Yeah, and I, with a lot of that material, too, I have to be very careful of, like, making it sound like I think drinking is bad. Yeah. Because, right? like, a lot of people like to drink and go to comedy shows, and they don't want to be accused of anything, which is a thousand percent not what I'm trying to do. In fact, a lot of my material earlier in the set, like if I'm headlining or featuring, like I will put a front load with a lot of like dirty relationship material. Like I want them to know I'm You're a, a fun guy. I'm a fun, yeah. twisted personality. And then when I start talking about drinking, I'm not like I'm not trying to like, you know, be yeah. the be the substitute be teacher. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to come off as righteous, right? But what do you think is happening when the when the audience? You're talking about this is a painful subject, or I think it's it seems less now. You've done so much work on this, yeah. Um, but it, it was at the time, and it's painful for some people still. And then the people get concerned for you. What do you think is happening in those moments? They just don't want to think about anybody struggling in any way. Yeah. Probably, maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, but. I've seen so many audiences who had no intention of thinking about, you know, whatever horrible topic, um, whatever dark topic go, they they don't, they don't, they didn't come there to do that. They came there to laugh, but the deal is you you take them to the dark place, then you make it okay there. There's like something that there's some, there's a disconnection happening in those moments. But, and I just want to be clear too, like you've, I've seen you kill with this many, many, many times, but there is something interesting happening when, when they're not, when they're taking your pain that you're describing as pain, mm-hmm. or oh, this guy's really messed up, yeah, right. Instead of what happens with like Gary Goldman, Gary Goldman's clearly very depressed and it's debilitating clinical depression, and he's talk, but he's 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 doing something in his set that makes it so that they don't fall into that trap. Yeah, his device when he's like, if you have fork marks in your ice cream, I know you. Like, I don't even have to see your kitchen to know that the sink is full of dishes. Uh, if you, if you, he says another line like that. It's like, if you X, Y, or Z, I know you don't have a top sheet 
because yes. you're using it as a curtain in the window. So he becomes outward. He starts yeah. addressing them directly. Yeah. I do so much. This happened to me and I did this and I said that. And then she said this and I was like, and I'm realizing I need to balance all that out. Like I can't constantly be saying me, 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 me. Yeah. I have to say like related to the, yeah. Greater. Like, you know, when you do this or have you ever done this, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's good to ask this question, right? To be like, well, what happens in those moments? Because like you just answered that, you just answered yeah. that for yourself. It, yeah. It's a, a method you could use. Yeah. Um, cause I think you're plenty silly and I think silly is often the antidote to sad, um, yeah. uh, to dark, dark topics. Yeah. It could also be, um, quick comedy. Yeah. Yeah. That was a- and then I'll have some pain. I was so. getting there. I wanted to <laughs> yeah. be a little nicer we'll about it. Are you going to go to like, uh, try improv? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you started writing this material, how, how distant were you from the actual pain of the event? When I started comedy, I was, I remember like a bringer show I did where I, I have the tape, one of my first tapes, I'm on stage saying I'm six years sober. So I would like, I started comedy when i was like five years sober so you've been pretty okay with it yeah uh i had a lot of residual shame and there's still some stuff it's like can i ever make a joke about that thing that i did or said or whatever um but the shame the dust had certainly settled the answer is probably yes to that question i mean those things where we're scared and we're really ashamed about right they're really personal and deep to us if they're framed right can you can sometimes be our best material yeah now i'm like i already feel like all right i have this solo show for colleges about the drinking stuff and now i have this solo show about the sex stuff i've already know my third one i want to be about my relationship with my dad and all of our weird dynamics because it's like all right that is the most that's where the most sadness and pain and like emotional pain and confusion like he's like the last enigma in my life and i'm like all right, that's going to be the source mm-hmm. for like this next big project. So what we want to play next is on infidelity. And you had a little bit of a preface for that. Yeah, just that this is uh, material that I wrote in the wake of the most shameful uh, thing I ever did in my life uh, and the biggest source of pain in my marriage uh, after the dust settled from that. And right. And so... Uh, just a quick warning. He, he's mostly crying, right? <laughs> uh, a lot of, with jokes here and there, which is I've never seen done before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say if you need any warnings or anything is that uh, the first minute was a riff off of some, a woman dropped her lipstick from the upper level of the, the, the showroom. Okay. There was like a, Oh, you're just bragging. Oh, there's an upper level to riffed. these shows. Ah. Oh, come on. <laughs> just fucking with Oh, was it in the mezzanine? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there's a mezzanine level. What section was she in? <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. in the uh, giant auditorium. You uh, get it. The president uh, comes uh, to your shows. Okay. All right. So Radio City Music Hall isn't bit good enough for you. We got to go place with two levels. <laughs> All right. So you dropped the This lipstick. was a bar in Yonkers. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. The Yonkers Auditorium. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. This guy is so funny. Good friend of mine, Mr. Patton Hopper! Parafan. Daniel oh, Parafan. Yep. Give it up for your hosts. Yeah. 23 years, 36 years. I just had my one year wedding anniversary. Uh oh, glass down. We got a person who fell. 
Mazel tov, everybody. 36 years. Oh, fell from upstairs. Sharon Osborne's really wasted up there. <laughs> Miss, we'll get up. Oh, is it a phone? Is it an electronic? What is it? Oh, it's a dildo. Oh, my God. Look at that, guys. That lady dropped her dildo clean out of her vagina. We're going to need a mop. Uh, oh, no, it looks more dusty than what. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hold on to your sex toys, everybody. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Sir, thank you for your help. Uh, we have hand sanitizer on the way. You guys are a raunchy crowd. I like this. I'm a raunchy guy. I had one year with my wife this, this month, one year wedding anniversary. My mom wants to know already whether we're going to have a boy or a girl. I'm like, Mom, it's 2018. Gender's dead. Also, we're a white couple, so we just hope to have whatever gets us the most likes on Instagram. <laughs> Like, no, really, what do you want, a boy or a girl? I'm like, Mom, it's 2018, we're a white couple. We're just hoping to not have a school shooter. <laughs> yeah, people get upset at that joke. I told that joke in Poughkeepsie, and this lady was like, Patrick, I'm a school teacher, you can't say that joke anymore. And I was like, why, are you triggered? <laughs> a lot of people get uncomfortable. They say that joke's too soon. I think maybe it's too early. <laughs> you guys know how to face the facts. I like you. Uh, let's talk about good news. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I got a beautiful wife. She's tall and lanky like I am. So when we go to bed at night, we don't this spoon. This fucking joke. I want to kill myself. <laughs> I want to kill it? myself with a fucking spatula. Yeah. Wait, wait, pause it. You hate it? It's Well, my wife has always hated it. And like I, my writing partner, Phil Valentine, who you guys might know, he's I like, he's like, yeah, dude, you don't have to like do that every set. Because if you don't do that joke in every set, it gives you room to put in a new joke. And uh, he's so gentle. He's such a sweet guy. And I know what he's saying is, dude, you've been doing that joke for you five years it anymore I, I it it helps like i'll do it in a headlining set yeah. it helps it's cutesy pie sometimes i'll riff on yeah, other stuff nice afterward little, like, look how cute i can be after yeah. like this like run yeah but it's like you know you i you could were see why you hate that joke. quoting it to me earlier and it's like is that gonna be my legacy like is this when i do we all have a joke like that we're like i can't believe i still say this. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> I get it. I get it. You don't like the joke, um, uh, but it's it, what I like is it just says so much. It's just like it's a good point to it. Like there's a lot. There's it's depth to this. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my vestigial da- corny it, dad jokes you were talking about earlier. Wait, why doesn't your wife like it? I feel like she it, j- she's she's actually got really good taste in comedy, and she <laughs> thinks it's fucking hacky and corny. Like she's. She's a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's hacky. I would per- say it's corny. I don't yeah. think it sounds like any joke. Oh, that's yeah, like it's... an easy joke to make. I think it's kind of cute, but I agree with her. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but no, I, that's kind of funny that it's like the person who might like it the most just who's like, it's cute. It's about oh, us. No, she will eye roll until her eyes are like in the back of her head. At yeah, anything, so anything that's bad. Uh, that's she- funny. The one joke I was thinking about in my act that I hate, like you just hated that. Is the one joke that I would say my girlfriend is like, that joke is so fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and Ross, my wife, worked at the cellar as a waitress for like five years or something in her twenties. So yeah. she she like respects good comedy and she knows good comedy when she sees and hears it, and she knows how far away from good comedy <laughs> that is. Must what a love savage. you. Oh my god, she must love you. I am she so likes much. your personality. I'm insanely yeah. lucky. She's yeah. incredible. Uh, okay, let's just listen to that one more time. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 
So when we go to bed at there night, it is. Spoon, we spatula. Oh, <laughs> oh, you hear that? They love it. Come on. They do love it. <laughs> Wick, I can play it again. You want me to play it? <laughs> Yeah, I'm an addict. I'm an addict in so many ways. And I talk about these sex problems in the meetings I go to. And one guy was like, Patrick, just be careful. For us alcoholics, it's really easy to get sucked into sex addiction. And I was like, did you say sucked? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real problem in my life. I'm one year married. We're already in couples therapy because, uh, yeah, you can give it up for that if you want. Couples uh, therapy. Yeah, my wife said we were having a communication problem. She had a problem with me communicating with sex workers from Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I quit watching porn, but I started looking at Craigslist sex ads. I'm like, well, I'm not looking at porn. I'm just reading the resumes of New York City's hardest workers. <laughs> the short version is that I went to see a dominatrix. Anybody else like to have their balls stepped on? You can just clap. <laughs> they're not clapping because their wives have them chained to their chair. <laughs> Yeah, I went to a dominatrix. I'll give you the short version of the story. I'm a 37-year-old man who likes to be dominated and humiliated and sometimes injured in a sexual way by women with strong personalities while I'm also dressed like a lady. <laughs> Does that make me a feminist? I don't know. <laughs> this is true. I came out to my wife as a cross-dresser, uh, which is an insane conversation to have with your wife because first you've got to come out of the closet and then you gotta go back in to find something cute of hers to wear. You guys don't know what to believe right now. I'm, I'm burying my soul. This is a secret I've kept since I was 13. I used to rummage through my mom's stuff and I discovered I was turned on by the sensation of her nylon against my boy skin. I like to pause real long right here. Because <laughs> this is when a room full of people look at me and they're like, uh, that guy fucked his mom. <laughs> I did not fuck my mom. I was a latchkey kid. She was never around. <laughs> Other latchkey kids were like, hey, my mom's not home. Let's get high. I was like, hey, mom's not home. Let's get pretty. <laughs> That's such a great joke. So yeah, I told my wife everything. I thought it was good news for the marriage. She it was not. Uh, I will never forget the rage she had in her eyes. So I let her have that moment, and then I just said to her, I was like, well, honey, do you want to hit me? <laughs> that is funny. Because if you do, first let me go slip into something a little more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was confused. She thought I was trans. She's like, are you trans? I'm like, honey, I'm not trans. I don't want to take the whole gender. I'm just like any other entitled white guy. I just want to take the best parts. <laughs> some, some people think I'm gay. They're like, dude, just admit it. You're gay. I'm like, I'm not gay. I'm a straight guy who happens to know that with this frame... A pencil skirt will only work against me. <laughs> and I have no problem with gay people. Some of my best friends have abs. <laughs> but yeah, I should have known a long time ago. Like, there, in my 20s, I dressed like Marilyn Monroe for three years in a row. My friends started catching on. They were like, dude, you dress like her for three years straight. And my girlfriend at the time was like, I think straight's the wrong word. <laughs> but yeah. 24-year-long secret. Uh, I couldn't tell my friend. I grew up in Ulster County. It's a farm town where I'm from. I couldn't tell. I was good at art in high school, and my friends called me faggot for that. Could you imagine I, liked, I told them that I like to jerk off in my sister's shoes? <laughs> She's freaked out. <laughs> Miss, I was not jerking off into the shoes. 
Can you imagine jerking off into a pair of shoes? What kind of faggot would do that? Anyway, I don't say it like that anymore. The sad thing about this story is not me being closeted for 24 years. It's my poor sister still stuck in those shoes. <laughs> I'm Patrick Holder. Have a great night. Nice. Well done, sir. Yeah, it's a great set, man. There's quite a lot of editing that's happened since that mm-hmm. that yeah. rendition. Uh, so hearing the F word twice like that is jarring. And actually, I've changed it to say my friends used to call me the F word because uh, it still works. And I don't need to say that word. So I, I, how long ago was this recording? That was summer 18. So uh, do, do that's you, a year and a half ago. Do you say... Uh, okay, first you got to come out of the closet and then you go find something cute of hers to wear. And then go back in to find something cute of hers to wear. Yeah. Have you ever tried it? This is weird. I'm like, have you ever just tried it? Something cute to wear just by itself? That's how it started. Well, yeah, that is how it started. I added of hers. And then recently Phil was like, you should just say, because people guess what you're going to say once you, Uh because you got to come out of the closet. So he was like, you should just say, uh. It's crazy. Like a, I came out of the closet to my wife as a crossdresser, which is hard because when you come out of, that, out of that closet, you better look cute. Oh, that's funny. Might be quicker to yeah. make the same joke, yeah. but I don't know. I just I, didn't I think of hers tried. was necessary, but I don't think it's I don't think it's bad that they know what you're gonna say. I think it's like what we've talked about. You could even do the opposite orgasm joke. Them, yeah, and let them complete it in their head. Just let them do it. Just be, just be like, it's weird. You come out of that closet. Yeah. I think it's like a right. joke that they like. The, I think it's it's really funny joke. Thank you. It's we, a really funny joke. Orgasm jokes are where um, an orgasm is always great, but you know exactly how it's going to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're just so waiting let for them it to enjoy it. Let yeah. them enjoy the and orgasm. So like, they're going to love it. Yeah. It's no, there's no surprise with an orgasm, but you still enjoy it. There are, there are jokes like that. They know yeah. exactly what you're going to say, and they're just waiting for you to say it. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone wants the satisfaction of hearing the mm-hmm. words aloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one I got to... Do you change it to of hers because you wanted it to have more surprise? Is that why? I think why? more stakes, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, also, because now... It's less fluid, though, in yeah. my mm-hmm. opinion. Because yeah. I'd heard you... I thought I'd heard you do it the, the other yeah. way before. Yeah. I think it runs over the... But now, like in the solo show where I tell like the whole story and like because all those jokes are true. Uh, yeah. There's... But like the the context is a little bit slanted or like. Yeah. You got to uh, adjust you, it. You, know, you got to make it into storytelling. Jokes. Uh-huh. So but now like blowing it out a little bit more and like getting into like <laughs> when I did tell my wife that I went and I had this experience with the sex worker, we were in the car and all the beats to that story are also funny. Uh, and uh and yeah, finding yeah, just finding the the funny parts of like what really happened. So, what was it like when you first first you you have this painful experience? You come out. It's it's a it's a fucking mess. Um, extremely difficult on your relationship um, and on your own psyche. Then you come out and you decide, okay, well now I'm going to take this on stage. What was that process like for you? Uh, it was really scary because it was like, I'm going to say these things that I've never said to anybody except now my wife and my couples therapist and the sex worker. Uh, I'm going to say these things in front of people. Um, this feels like a major, like a, like taking a major plunge, like a major risk. Um, but 
it was pretty quick into that process. Like at that storytelling show, when I said it for the first time ever, or no, I think I did two mics. I think I did two was mics. Was I at one of those? Maybe. Because I, I remember that. No, vividly. no, I think you heard it when it was a little bit more polished. You yeah. probably heard like the fourth or fifth mic I did or yeah. something with any of this stuff. But in the first couple mics and that storytelling show, the um, positive feedback was instantaneous. Like mm. in, in some, some in laughter during the set, but more like after the show or the mic or whatever, people would be like, dude, that's, I want to hear more about that. Oh, that's great. hilarious. You're mm-hmm. talking about that. Mm-hmm. I've never heard any straight guy ever talk about this. Like you, you got to do more. Like, so it's just very obvious, like, oh, this is, I'm on to something and I should, I should do this. Yeah. Uh, I should process. You got this. immediate validation and you were like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, trust me, there are times when I'm like, is this going to be worth it? Like, is I it, understand, you know, I, I used to close every time with the bisexual shit and it, man, it could murder. I could just, and I could get off stage, but then it was just weird. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to like talk to anybody. Yeah. And certain people would just be, they would love it and they'd want to come talk to me, but I didn't even want to look them in the eye. Yeah. It's very weird. It's, it's so vulnerable. Oh yeah. And yeah, when I, when it does not go well, oh! it's, it feels like pure rejection. It's the I mean, I've experienced full on homophobia now. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, like the show in Pennsylvania last week, like, nobody stuck around to say hi like mm. and it i think there is such a thing as giving up too much of yourself for people what do you mean like just oversharing uh and like putting it all out there it not getting reciprocated with laughter and then feeling like well i gave you all of this why didn't you give me yeah. the bare minimum like why didn't you like laugh you know which i know is that's on me like they didn't yeah. laugh because they didn't find it funny uh but that's that's the dark place I go to of like, well, fuck these people. Like John Donnelly said that he, um, he has, he looks at it like a freeway with on ramps and off ramps. Um, and that he, if he's going down the freeway and it's just not, it's not going the way he wants, he has off ramps. Yeah. All the built yeah. in. Yeah. So he's, he'll get to a certain point. He knows he can jump off here. Yeah. Cause he knows that this crowd isn't eating up this particular. Route. Yeah. I don't have, off ramps in that i can just take a totally different route i have like saves that work but i need lots more because for me doing an hour i have to do everything i have right right now where i'm at in my career that's sort of where i'm at you know got it uh but what happened what i was proud of wednesday when this material it it never bombed i don't i'm i don't want to say it bombed but it changed i mean you could even hear it in this set we just listened to like some of the laughs died down and you could feel people the temperature mm-hmm. changed a little bit mm-hmm. um and what i was proud of You're wednesday was cuz sometimes i'll start doing that material at them like i i'll start like not anger yeah there's anger in my heart and i'll be like I'll be like, yeah, so what? Like, 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 this is what I'm into. Like, who get, like, I can't even quote how I would do it, but, or I have these bits now. I've seen you punish the crowd a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was really proud that I never went. what you like. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so we could talk about that pain. We could talk about that pain also at some point of just uh, sexual pain. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I, the other night, I never went to that angry place. I just, 
kind of wanted to just keep sharing about it because I had to get through my set, but also to, uh, I felt like, you know what, I'm going to just like lovingly tell them about this thing that happened and this thing that I'm into. And now there's this whole other chunk about going to a sex dungeon with other men into the same thing that I'm into and what happened there. And there's like hysterical (laughs) big laughs that even they got from that. And that made me really proud. Uh, and it was like, I don't think I would have gotten back to big laughs if I would, if I started punishing them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, what is your most instructive bomb? Um, man, uh, useful or best bomb. And I don't mean like amazing story. I mean, like you really got something out of it. Yeah. Uh, oh man, there, there've been a handful in just the last year of, uh, just like moments where I think like even bar show sets where I get into some of this material too quickly like they've met me, they've the the host has introduced me, and then within thirty seconds, I'm telling them about this like very not regular sex stuff I'm into. I realize that's too soon. Like they they need they need the spatula joke or something equal yeah. of equal quality and measure or whatever of of tone. Yeah, they need to know me and like kind of like me or whatever. Totally. Before I'm like. Oh, by the way, like I, uh, I've, I go to sex dungeons sometimes and yeah. isn't this funny. So that actually jives with something I've been paying attention to lately. Um, Chad Daniels, mm. unbelievably good comedian. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Is he good? Mm-hmm. And, um, I was kind of turned off. I tried to watch his special dad channels and I was like, I, I don't like this at all. And, um, another comedian I was on the road with, he was like, you have to watch it. I'm like, Ugh, really? I'm not digging this. He's like, just wait. And about 18 minutes in, the the special flips. Yeah. And the reason I didn't like it is because it felt the first 18 minutes felt tired and a little bit just like just Default. just safe. You've oh. seen it and, before. And yeah, just like I get it. Your son's dumb. Whatever. Like he's a teenager. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 then it flips. Mm. And I then I saw the whole special, and he goes so far in that special, so far. From family dad man to all the social criticism that he does. That first 18 minutes, it's him building goodwill. Yeah. 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 Which is what you're talking about. Yeah. You need. haven't built enough goodwill and rapport to be like. Or just basic connection. Like, yeah. Like. That's rapport. Yeah. 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 I also think there's something like um, when you have those moments where you're like, you're, you're explaining something to them and it's like you're lulling them in. Uh, those, I mean, okay, first of all, it's fine that they're happening anyway. It's just fine, like creative process wise, but also just like, if you just get used to unraveling that story and like sharing that experience, um, like, like if it doesn't get big laughs for a certain amount of time and it takes a while, like that's fine because like the overall goal is to get to a point where you're performing that on an album or mm-hmm. a special, which would be comprised of people that know you and like you and yeah, want to hear yeah. more. So it's like, who really gives a shit if they're not laughing hysterically in like, you know, Erie, Pennsylvania for a little bit, like just get used to the, to the like ability to even talk about mm-hmm. that stuff. I feel like, I don't know. I, that that's how I feel. I just feel yeah. like it, it, sometimes those lulls, 
are very helpful and it helps you to just remember it's like it, like the be comfortable in silence thing the Chappelle thing yeah. like it's re- it's so much more strengthening than knowing how to make a, a joke uh, like bulletproof in terms of like this is the safest way to get from A to B yeah like what's the most honest and potentially even funnier way to get from A to B you know yeah with like the biggest payoff yeah I think I just I have like the old school thing of like all right these people paid to be here yeah maybe they got a babysitter totally put on a fucking show Mm -hmm. yeah and like like, totally but also like that's part of your show you you they paid to see you yeah and whether they know who that is or not you I mean like you're still putting on the fucking show yeah yeah like if they don't like the show they don't like the show The movie theater is not going to refund their tickets because yeah. they didn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, it's just you are the show. And it's like, yeah. And also, you've clearly, like, the thing, the goodwill thing. It's like, you've put in the goodwill. Like, this is something that's important to you. They can take a fucking minute and listen to five minutes of yeah. stuff that's not, they're not maybe emotionally ready for. I'm with you, and I I will send that in an email to the next club booker that <laughs> yeah. like is like you can't send that person back here well, ever I again. Think, I think uh, I think it's really important to like dis- make a distinction because it's one thing to do that on a bar show, mm-hmm. it's another thing to do that where it's a business. Um, and, yeah, and, and we're at the point where we're just trying to get work. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And 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 our job is to kill so we get work. And, yeah, but and, you're talking about five minutes out of a, an hour. Well. I get that. If you just uh, can't kill for that long, well, then that's another sometimes problem. Sometimes that, that five minutes, though, totally, like, is the part that people remember. Like, like <laughs> the other thing I should mention is that this but was... But the save is also something they remember. Like, yeah. oh, my God, you had that little moment it's, there, and then yeah. you really brought it yeah. home. If you know that you're going to get them back. Yeah. If you know you're going to get them back. Yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, this was in a former church space. Also, it was like a community theater yeah. uh, where they do pottery and shit like that. And then sometimes they have entertainment. Totally. And, um, real quick regarding pain, though, with these kinds of this kind of subject matter that not everybody's going to love is, uh, I think, I think if you see a friend on the subway and within five seconds they're like dumping on you about how hard their life is that week. It's kind of, it's taxing. It's emotionally taxing. And you're like, why are you telling me? Like, let's do the small talk thing. And if it's appropriate, then yeah, tell me what's going on. But for people who signed up to go to a comedy show and then like within 30 seconds, the guy, you know, like, like on a showcase, if I have a short set and I'm like excited to work on all this spicy material for my bigger show and I just start dumping this like heavy duty marriage dynamics shit, uh, it's kind of a betrayal for what they thought they were getting into. So it's kind of like lull them in before I dump all my pain on them. Right. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like it's okay to to work on stuff and take a few minutes to, to do stuff that they're not necessarily going to be on board with. But like, I don't, I don't think there's any shame with like doing your aim, a game stuff. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like they, it was polished to your satisfaction and they just weren't vibing, which I think is what I was well, that, it was like they just listen, w- Harrison. <laughs> no, no, no. You they wouldn't let you. I thought they, you were saying just like this works. You're just not letting me fucking open up. No, that was true. That that was true with the hour set. Yeah. Like it was like once I started talking about being turned on wearing women's clothes, they shut down. They were yeah. like not gonna like come with me on that journey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
except for the really funny but jokes of it. They haven't seen you in eyeshadow before. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, true. No, <laughs> yeah, you should, you should let them know when they start to pull back. You should be like, "There is a burlesque yeah. show immediately after this." Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm it. That's yeah. me. <laughs> uh, well, what's interesting is that would so horrify me. Like all the all the stuff I'm into is so based in like secrecy and like <laughs> no one will ever see me like this. So. Uh, the jokes are the clo- uh, closest. You know, one time it was your get. like Facebook profile picture. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> God, we could get lost in the dynamics of all this, but yeah. that's that. That was my wedding invitation. We did that as yeah. like this big joke, uh, but so joke. so yeah. far, that's like so far. It was from a what bit. I'm actually into. Did you have a click moment? A moment where you heard something on a podcast, or you're talking to a higher level comic, or maybe even somebody at your level, where you just heard something and that went. Oh, and it changed stand up in some way for you. Hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, I mean, I probably, you know, growing up, my favorite comics were like Andy Kaufman and George Carlin. Like, Comedy Central used to play these documentaries about Andy Kaufman, and I loved the silliness and like this like character. He was a, mm-hmm. a character. It was so absurd. It was like so far from what my comedic style was but i just loved it um and then carlin talking about the world and how the world works and the way people think and how dumb people are just so clever and so smart but also pretty far from how i am on stage and then uh yeah like like watching some richard Pryor stuff and like some really personal um personal stories from his his videos uh uh, and yeah, just you're realizing, very priorish, like in terms of your take on stand up. At least now you are. Yeah, like like how you can you can just share about these like yeah. horrific things in a in a way that will get people laughing. I, I I've mixed feelings about admitting this on your podcast, but I did some. I took some comedy workshops in in uh, my first couple of years. So did almost uh, all of us. And Jessica Kirsten had one in the basement of the Metropolitan Room, and every time I did a a joke about uh being sober or drinking she'd be like that's that's so great like you you need to dig into that more um so yeah i think i think that was a big click moment for me was like oh the thing that i kind of am have a lot of shame about is will you know will click with people oh, like the tying yeah. tying pain to that being your true that emotional pain being that's that's your north star yeah that's your that's the thing pointing the way for you yeah yeah uh berbiglia also like so many of his albums and specials uh just just seeing how somebody can take like the fodder of their life and make it like really good stand up uh by the way just to i know we were talking about the um the like opening up in front of certain crowds which like i totally get but also Everything you just described that's like opening up is like what a comic would tell you to do for like a JFL audition. Mm. It's like like everything that's like unique and vulnerable is like what you're supposed to share. Right. It's like yeah. who are you in seven minutes or yeah. whatever the amount of time. Yeah. So it's like good to have both muscles tuned. Sure. So like here's here's crowd pleaser Pat and here's like Pat. I ha- yeah, and I have seven minutes to tell you who I am, and yeah. and the construct of a showcase like that is 
were were bringing out comics to do their tight sets mm-hmm. uh and All they're right. sm- I, I hope on your jfl your first jfl the first joke is the spatula joke <laughs> 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 and uh, just, i get to call you up and be like dude i saw it man uh, it yeah. killed buddy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't i don't think that'll be anytime soon so hopefully i have other kitchenware jokes to make by then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually i have a whisk joke now uh i talk about <laughs> Wait, going really? to the yeah i because oh, this is is true i went to the sex worker's apartment she said sit down on the floor take off your clothes sit down on the floor next to the coffee table coffee tables covered in every implement and tool from her industry there's there's uh there's straps there's handcuffs there's whips there's chains there's a kitchen whisk i don't know what in the recipe calls for that but <laughs> uh which was true there really was one um but yeah you love those so i've got a whisk i've got a spatula uh, see what else is out there. Maybe you'll just end up being like a food television presenter. Yeah, yeah, dude. I've uh, People I find out they see your stand up like, what the fuck? Yeah, infomercial. I've guy. had some terrible hosting jobs on random TV things. Uh, where I'm so not funny because I'm like just being trying to be basic white guy delivering teleprompter script and. It does feel very freeing to like be doing this material in the stand-up format, but I do worry one day it'll catch up to me and like no colleges will want me anywhere near their Why campuses. The, uh, when would that happen? I don't know. I mean, I think our society, there's still a lot of people that... Uh, Literally, I think the only thing I heard that a college would be upset with is the word faggot. Faggot, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Like everything else is like... Good. Well, Kids need to learn about their sexualities, and this is like a guy that's exploring his. College too. Well, I yeah. did. I did my drinking show. The ones that uh, pay the best, I think, would be <laughs> good at this, except for UT. I'll share this: that I did my drinking show at Pratt, which is like the queerest campus yeah. in the country. Like very, yeah, very diverse so campus. Just-, <laughs> <laughs> just very diverse students, um, and the show went okay. There was it, it wasn't the best show, but. Uh, at the end, I do a and a and somebody said, can you do more jokes? Like, do, do more jokes. And I was like, all right, uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll share with you guys some stuff that's going on in my marriage. And I went into cross-dressing material, oh. uh, which killed in the room. It killed. Yeah. They loved it. Of course. Uh, but my agency got feedback saying um, that our campus has a very diverse community who take their gender identities very seriously and it may not have been appropriate for the comedian to joke about that meaning they perceived that you got like, namesh patel kind of yeah they thought i was making fun of them i was telling my <laughs> truth i was talking about my personal experiences yeah and they assumed i was making fun okay, of fuck people. everything don't just quit comedy like, like they my, heard the phrase crazy. really ruffled your skirt yeah <laughs> Like they heard me say the phrase trans or the word trans. They heard cross dressing. They heard these buzzwords and they assume, yeah, like I'm. It's like Nimesh you, Patel. You, you, you don't even with, like. Did you fire back and be like, uh, "Hey, I get it. I don't want to upset your clients," but I just did not send them a thank you note. That is really impressive. I, I fucking really, I took fuck. it to the man. <laughs> <laughs> you should just set up a mic and like Chappelle it in the quad or something. Like put a like a donation bucket. Like I I'll play Pratt. I mean that's essentially <laughs> where they put me. They put me in a space oh, that was funny. a lobby and people were passing through. Ugh! And my it's a PowerPoint presentation. I've heard that at cafeterias too. Oh, 
Yeah. Dude, some of these, sh- it's not glamorous out on college shows. No. Some of them are killer. I would say one in five are killer. They're like proper theaters. They get the students to come out. But then other ones are just, it's work. Do you give, like, ever get heckled? Because college students are so fun to like respond to because they're so dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the Toyota Prius and the hair products joke. Not, nobody ever said that specifically, but I can remember hearing like certain... You know, certain murmurs yeah. or whatever. White, white, white bread. Yeah. Wonder yeah, bread. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's stuff. And like, I, I have to say, like, doing bits that involve pain has very often led to people uh, mess. I, I'll get random messages sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other night, a guy pulled me out after a bar show I was on and he was like, hey, like, I've, he was another uh, comic and he was like, heard your stuff a few times and i keep wanting to tell you like you know my girlfriend and i are into similar stuff and like but we have this hang up and this it's just cool to relate to people uh and it just feels special and it feels so like something that would not happen if i were sticking to the corny puns and stuff that's the thing the corniness the puns the like that it's fine it works it's forgettable um i've watched sets where I don't remember. I remember laughing, but I don't remember anything. Yeah. Other than maybe a bag impression of who the person was. Yeah. But when it's stuff like that, people remember. Yeah, and it, it's uh, memorable. Yeah, and also that feeling of um, I don't know anything about that person. Like I just heard, like uh, like Ted Bundy deliver a polished uh, stand-up set, but I don't know anything about that guy. You know, like there's like a socio sociopathy to like. I, super... say, I don't remember his stand-up at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm making a bad uh, joke or comparison, but like some comics, I, they're a little spectrumy, uh, and they write these brilliant bits that yeah, I'm jealous of. I'm jealous of comics that churn out like rock solid jokes based on the news or whatever. But then they're saying good night, and I I'm like I have no idea what's going, who that person is, right. And that's just that's just not my cup of tea. That's not a wrong way to do comedy, but I want to know the person. I do, I do think it's I do think the other is more memorable. I think that when people get a narrative about you, yeah. and it's especially one with stakes yeah. involved, they walk away with that narrative. We're we're wired to uh, we're wired for a few things. Like we're wired for negative bias, right? So pain, anything about pain, anything is painful is going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Especially if it resonates with your own pain. Yeah. And then we're also wired for narrative, like for the vast majority of all of human existence, all knowledge was passed down through narrative, through oral history. Mm-hmm. We write, we couldn't write anything down. There was no writing. So what we're doing when we actually provide a narrative to the audience, um, we're giving them the easiest way to remember anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think what you're doing is you are, are, uh, providing a memorable experience for an audience as opposed to just jokes, which they, they, they're, they're very, they, 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 they come apart in your mm-hmm. mind very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, this is great guys. Thanks for, uh, inviting me to this pain and suffering orgy. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> good, good thing we got the orgy on camera. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot. Thanks guys. Bye. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about.